Hey everybody, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas. Hello everyone. And welcome to another edition of OD Wire Radio. And today, Paul, I would like to thank our sponsor once again. It is Marco. And a, a terrific company. Yep. Can't say enough about them and uh, they, their instruments speak for themselves. That is true. And Paul, you have a multi-decade relationship with Marco, don't you? Uh, more decades than you want to know about. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys go back a long way before Marco actually started getting into the really high-tech instruments. Um, and today's talk is all about uh, those high-tech instruments. If you heard part one, uh, we had John Warren here talking to us all about how he automated the workflow in his office. And John Warren, if you don't know him, you probably have used his software before, actually. Uh, John owns a private practice in Racine, Wisconsin, where he's practiced since 1992. But more importantly, what you probably know him for is that he is the co-founder of Revolution EHR. So there's a probability that you're using his software every day in your practice. And John, thanks so much for being here again. Sure, it's a pleasure. So today... In our second talk, we're going to talk about wavefront technology. And before we start, Paul's shaking his head. Uh, hey, wavefront, <laughs> I'm getting seasick. <laughs> what, what, what is that? Yeah. So, so we have to confess that Paul and I know not just nothing, but less than zero. Minus. Minus. We know nothing about wavefront technology. So, John, we are starting from scratch. So we well, are, we're relying on you to tell us the truth. Well, that's, that's good. Then I can get away with all kinds of yeah. things today. <laughs> Um, so, John, can you just sort of define and describe wavefront technology for us? Sure. Um, you know, I, I started practicing back in '92 when when topography was a, a big deal. I mean, that was like the, the cutting edge thing as far as measuring our patient's optical system. You know, we're going to measure the cornea in ways we never could before, and you know that certainly plays a big part in in what we look at with wavefront technology. One of the things we've known for a long, long time is that the cornea has different refractive powers from the center of the cornea to the outside and maybe from the top to the bottom if you look at a keratoconic patient. Um, and then also that the lens can have an effect on, on, on prescription. I don't think in, you know, in 92 we had any idea the effect that it would have on, on not just sphere but cylinder and, 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 um, and other types of, of refractive problems. Um, you know, as most of us know that, that, are, that are optometrists, ophthalmologists, or technicians that refract, you know, we deal, in, we deal in sphere, cylinder, and axis every day long for our patients, and we're basically working on first and second order aberrations that way or, or refractive error. Um, you know, using a, a, a typical diagnostic technology, we really don't have any way to look beyond first and second order aberrations. Um, a lot of technology now does allow us to do that, and it allows us to get a much better, vibrant, and, and accurate picture of our patient's refractive system than we ever had before. Um, you know, aberrations such as spherical aberration, uh, coma, and trefoil are, you know, actually pretty frequent issues that our patients deal with. Sometimes it's minor enough that a patient still sees 2020-ish uh, or they're 20-happy-ish, even though they have some of these issues going on. Um, but a lot of our patients, if you know about these issues, you can deal with them in different ways, whether, whether it would be surgically, um, it would be by modifying their, their spherocylindrical prescription, or be using a, a, a specific type of contact lens, a gas perm for a, a very aberrant uh, system, or maybe just an aspheric soft contact lens to deal with spherical aberration. Um, spherical aberration is basically where the spherical component of a person's prescription changes from the center of the, of the, of the pupil to the outside. It's actually fairly common, and it's something I pick up on every day and, and will discuss with patients and sometimes not make any changes based on, depending on the degree of, of a spherical aberration, and sometimes make have them with a second prescription or modifying their primary prescription based on it. 
Uh, coma is something we run into mostly through corneal change, uh, usually through a disease process, like keratoconus or pellucid degeneration, um, or a poorly fit high riding gas permeable contact lens. Uh, we'll see that. And trefoil is something I see mostly in my patients that have uh, lenticular changes. Um, so a patient with early cataracts sometimes will manifest trefoil. Um, they kind of used to jokingly be referred to as the Mercedes-Benz symbol because that's what the surgeon drives when he takes the cataract out. Um, but it gives you almost, instead of you know a, a, a 90 degree separation on your cylinder, it actually gives you three components to the cylinder. And it uh, looks sort of like a Mercedes-Benz symbol, so hence the joke. <laughs> Right. Um, so but is this more of a problem with people with normally large uh, pupils? The spherical aberration tends to be. Um, you know, the, the older patients tend to have smaller pupils, and I see less spherical aberration with them. Um, but also when those patients sometimes will have the trefoil and the small pupil concentrates the effect and bothers them even more than when the pupil's larger. So the answer to that is kind of yes and kind of no. Um, and the, the younger population, spherical aberration is by far the most common thing we see, and people that have larger pupils will tend to experience it more. But it's not solely something that happens in patients with larger pupils. Right. So, so what sort of additional instrumentation is required for this? You know, we need to use an aberrometer to measure the, uh, the, the wavefront aberration of our patients. Uh, it used to be the hartman shack model that was, you know, research only, and then it first was used just to drive refractive surgery procedures. Um, but now the, the device, the, the OPD3 uh, by Marco is the one that I use, and it delivers a, a, a wealth of, of information very quickly that I use to start and in the middle of and at the end of my refraction process. Um, to the point that it's, it's actually, they've actually come up with the term X-fraction versus refraction because of, of the data that we're using. Um, but it captures uh, autorefraction values, not just a value, but a central, a three millimeter and a five millimeter value, which it then sends to the refractor, refraction head, um, either as the central value or as what's called a wavefront optimized value, which will, will blend a little bit of the sphere and cylinder power to send over there um, at a four millimeter zone, which actually is typically much more accurate and much closer to the final refraction than the value you get from a central autorefraction. Um, it also gathers topography, pupil sizes, both uh, photopic and mesopic, um, and then also an eye image. Uh, so I get a wealth of, my inf of information about the patient's visual system. I, I like to describe it to the patients as I now have your optical fingerprint. Uh, when I show them the, the optical path difference map, or you can think of it as the wavefront map, um, and it shows me diff different power values at different portions in the cornea, and I tell them not everyone who's a minus two is the same. You know, most minus twos are all a little bit different, and this lets me know what kind of minus two you are. Um, so by using the OPD, I can, I can gather a wealth of information about the, the uh, patients very quickly. Right. You know, we mentioned in the first part of our talk, uh, we talked all about your workflow. How do you actually work this wavefront data into your workflow in your office? You know, the, one of the first steps that the patient goes through in the encounter is, is having the OPD examination performed on them by the technician. And in about 30 to 60 seconds, maybe a little longer if the patient's just not real cooperative, um, all that information is gathered. And then that data is sent over to the refraction system so that I have an autorefraction value to start with. And I also have the lensometry value, and I also have what's called the nighttime autorefraction. So um, I really have three three values to look at as I start the refraction. And 
you know, it all stays tightly encapsulated and moves from point A to point B through a data cable. So there's really no staff intervention. No one has to manually dial things into this floor after it automatically sets itself up right away for me. So when I start the refraction, it's, it's where it should be. Um, so it's actually, a, it's actually an efficiency boost to, to gather this data and send it, and send it over um, because I've got the data at my fingertips when I start that refraction. Well, you know, how, having access to all this, how does this change the data for your refraction? Does it in, actually change the prescription? In, in two ways, Paul. Um, one is that I've got viewer software that lets me review all the findings from the, from the OPD3, either in my private office, which I will usually do before I go meet with the patient and start, start my portion of the exam. Or I can pull it up in the exam room and review it, and then if I want to do a show and tell with the patient, I can show them what, you know, here's your optical fingerprint, and here's why you don't see well at night. I mean, patients are blown away when I'll, I'll before I even examine them, I'll talk to them and we'll do some of the history, and I'll say, you know, I bet your night vision kind of stinks, doesn't it? And they look at me like, how did you know that? And I'll say, well, I can see right here that, you know, in the center of your pupil, you're minus 2. At 3 millimeters, you're minus 250. And at, at, at 5 millimeters, you're actually a minus 275. So depending on how big your pupil is, you have a, you have a different refraction. And, um, you know, that's one of the ways that it actually changes, changes uh, the refraction that I come up with. Um, the other is that by starting with the wavefront optimized refraction, I'm so close to their final prescription that it's usually a sphere check that I'm going through sometimes a cylinder check as long as they have a, a, a clean enough optical system. Now, I also have data displayed that shows me what's called the root mean square um, for the three and five millimeter zones um, that were measured. And I know that if those values fall outside of a typical range, this patient probably doesn't see as well as, as you, know, you would think they would see. Um, so it helps me set my expectations at the beginning of the refraction and helps prevent me from wearing the patient out with a five minute refraction on the right eye you know, when the, when the root mean square value at three millimeters is, is a 1.2 and normal is 0.3. So um, it, it changes the refraction as far as how I approach the refraction, and it changes the experience for the patient because it's much quicker and much more easy. As I alluded to, I also have these three pieces of data. I have the lensometry, I have the, centrum, the, the standard autorefraction, and I have the nighttime autorefraction, which is basically the, the most, typically the most minus or least plus refraction the patient has. And I can show the difference between all three of those prescriptions to the patient in about a quarter of a second. So I can finish my subjective refraction, and then um, with both eyes open, I can say, now tell me if it's clearer this way, and I'll hit the lensometry button, it'll, it'll throw in the lensometry finding, or this way, and I'll hit the subjective button, and it, it drops in the, the today's refraction. And these patients, a lot of times, will say, well, wow, that's clearer. I'll say, well, great, that's, you know, you're going to see that much clearer through your new glasses or through your new contact lenses, whatever I'm going to do to, 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 to make them see better. Um, or for the patient that says, no, it looks exactly the same, I say, we're not changing your glasses this year unless you want something that looks different. Um, the other thing is for patients that show a significant night vision shift that ha go from a, a minus 2 to a minus 275, I can kill the lights and talk with them for just a minute to let them, let them dark adapt, and then I can show them their vision through their standard refraction, and I can show them their vision through either the nighttime auto refraction, or I can refine that refraction to show them the difference. So patients have an idea of how much of a difference a separate prescription for driving in low light situations might make for them. Or sometimes I'll just blend the prescription. If they're a 25-year-old and they go from a minus 2 in the center to a 275, instead of giving them a 2, I might give them a 2 and a quarter. 
and frankly, I think we've been doing a lot of that just through, you know, knowing our patients. We've been over minusing them by the, that patient. We've been over minusing by a quarter probably, um, or maybe a, a half diopter to make up for that that night issue, especially if you refract with the lights on. You know, I do all of my refractions. Uh, if I do all of my refractions with the lights on. I don't refract in the dark. Um, and when you refract in the dark, it tends to cause you to over minus patients because you're getting a bigger pupil. So. Um, knowing all these things has caused me to change my refraction quite a bit, but I think for the better. So when you have a patient that has specific complaints about night driving, possibly a, a drive, a truck driver will say that that mm-hmm. does a lot of overnight complaining about the night driving, would you give them a, a special prescription, assuming the, they're presbyopic by that time, uh, would you overcorrect them for night driving and have a dedicated pair of glasses for when they were going on a long haul. I, I would give them a dedicated pair of glasses, but I wouldn't be overcorrecting them. I'd, I would not be undercorrecting them, which I'm not trying to play semantics. But, you know, our, our prescription has the potential to change dramatically uh, for some patients. Some patients doesn't change one bit, um, but it changes quite a bit for some patients. Um, you know, the pupil dilates. They, the, they go from a, a minus 2 to a, a minus 275 or from a plus 3 to a plus 2. You know, it's not just the myopes. It happens where the hyperopes get less farsighted in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the dark with the larger pupils also. So, you know, by understanding this information, it really helps me drive the prescriptions. And because the, the OPD gathers topography data also, it not only lets me know what the cornea is shaped like and what their total, their total wavefront is like, but it lets me subtract the cornea out and see what's going on with the lens. And this is a real help for those. And you've seen enough of these, Paul, where the, the patient's 62 and they see 2025, 20, and the lens doesn't look that cloudy. The macula is perfectly clean and the cornea is normal. Um, and you just can't figure out why they're, you know, they're 2020 ish or 2025 ish. Um, and you look at the lens and it's, gee, it's, it's really not that cloudy. They should still be seeing better. You get aberometry on these people, and probably seven times out of 10, they have trefoil going on. And it's just because they, they no longer have a true spherosolinical refraction. The lens is inducing some irregularity in the cylinder. And being able to know this is, is tremendously helpful. I'll also see patients that in the, in the center of their, um, their, their tip, their full wavefront, it'll be a little bit hotter. It'll be a little bit more minus. Um, so it'll actually be a little bit of reverse aspherosity. And when you, when you subtract the cornea, you see that it's the lens, and that nucleus is just getting more and more dense. Uh, more and more optically dense and causing them to actually have an island of, of central minus. Um, those patients, you know, you explain that to them, they get the cataracts out and they come back and they're extremely happy because now they don't have the issues they had before. And those were issues you couldn't clearly identify without the technology. Right. Now, just a little change of pace. Uh, are you still using tech, uh, topography? Uh, you know, I, I do. Decisions? I do. I use it in two ways. I, I use it, you know, uh, first thing I see when I, if I see a, a, a wavefront that looks funky, the first thing I do is look at the topography. And, you know, the topography is more likely to cause these, these weird aberrometries, especially people with corneal degeneration or corneal warpage from contact lens wear. Um, you know, so I use it on, on its own to, to diagnose things. And then I also use it to subtract out the cornea to know what you know, what's going on with, with the lens. So, so yeah, I absolutely do use topography, um, you know, and I use the topography and I'll, I'll, I'll also use the, uh, the wavefront for contact lens uh, prescribing also. Um, patients that go from a um, minus two in the center to a minus one and a quarter or 150 peripherally are not going to like an aspheric soft contact lens. 
it's actually going to make their vision worse than make it better. Whereas the patient that goes from maybe a plus two to a plus one and a quarter uh, in the periphery, you put them in a, an aspheric lens such as a pure vision or an Avera, they're going to love the vision out of that lens because they're going to appreciate the extra minus or, or decrease in plus out in the periphery of the lens. So it actually really helps me avoid those patients where you scratch your head and say, boy, everybody loves their vision out of this lens. Why do they hate it? I didn't even get to that point because I don't prescribe that lens or didn't even start with it. Right. Now, uh, basically, uh, I, I'm, I would assume that this is not covered by any sort of insurance. Uh, so just the, the cost of this technology versus a, the patient benefit. Could you just review a little bit about that? Yeah, I I don't. This isn't a, isn't a, isn't something that has that always has a direct procedure code link to it, like a photog like fundus photos or um, an OCT would. Um, the the biggest benefits to this really are patient management, better patient management, better understanding of the patient's prescription. The closest thing to a direct ROI is the ability to make recommendations for specialized uh, glasses or contact lens prescriptions based on uh, findings from the the OPD. But the, the biggest, you know, soft ROI that I see in my practice is the efficiencies in the patient experience. Um, you know, we're able to, because of the data that we have, the refraction process is much shorter and, and easier for the patient. The patient's much more confident. Um, and, you know, we're able to just to, to make things much more efficient. And then it's the wow factor for the patient. Um, you know, I finish the extraction with a patient and they say, we're done. That's really, that's all. You don't have to ask more questions. I'm like, no, we're ready to go. And they love the fact, we, we don't like to admit it, but patients hate being refracted. They hate one or two, two or three, and they really hate 14 or 15, 15 or 16. Um, and by doing that, I think the patient experience has been much better. And it's actually borne itself out in the, the after exam surveys that we do with patients. They, they tend to rave about the efficiencies and how easy the exam was and you know, how, how the technology made the encounter better. So there isn't a, you know, I, I can't pull a, run a report and say, well, I did X many of these procedures and it generated, you know, Y amount of money. Um, it's a little bit softer um, ROI, although I, I know that I do, I do have a lot more patients update their spectacles than I would without the ability to show the current and the old prescription. Um, and then also the nighttime versus the daytime prescription. So there's a kind of a hard and a soft ROI to these to this technology. Right. So John, any final thoughts for someone who's on the fence, who's thinking about implementing wavefront technology in their office? Where should they get started, and what should they do? Well, the the simple uh, an, the simple answer is just do it. Um, I remember when I when I added topography to my practice back in the mid '90s. After about six months, I thought, Wow, how could I practice without this? And then when I added a scanning laser to my practice in the early 2000s, um, I thought, wow, how could I practice without this after about six months? And aberrometry is very much the same. After you've been having this data at your fingertips and, and being able to troubleshoot visual problems and other things so much more quickly and easily, which patients really appreciate, um, I, I kept asking myself, wow, how did I practice so long without this? Um, what I would do, the thing that really sold me on it was I actually sat down and had myself examined with the technology. And I'm, I'm more interesting because I'm post-RK and I, I, have, I have aspheric corneas and I'm neat to look at. Um, but I actually had the aberrometry done and I had a refraction done. And, and I said to the, to the, it was a sales rep that ran it on me. And I said, really, I'm done, Drew? That's it? And he goes, yeah, how do you see it? I said, great. Um, and, you know, that's really what, that, that moment is at AOA in Boston. That really is what, you know, sold me on, on having this technology. And, um, you know, I, I think get a little bit of hands-on experience with it and, and be willing to accept change. There are better ways to do things than, you know, uh, sphere, cylinder, and axis. 
So I assume the Marco shows the Aberometer at, at the shows? Yeah, at the bigger shows, I've got three or four of them set up usually. Sure, um, and, and they usually have the you know the product specialist, uh, product manager there to, to actually dive in and show you the inside the numbers sort of things. It, if you're a numbers junkie, these things are for you. Um, they generate more numbers than I even consider looking at. Um, but what I appreciate is the, the graphical output, um, which lets me do a very quick analysis of, boy, that's normal and that's abnormal. I mean, I, I, I've looked at enough of them now that in, in two seconds I can look at the OPD and know, easy refraction, this will be quick, or, oh, geez, it's going to take a while. Um, open up my Snickers bar, but um, it's you know it's really the amount of data that it provides you and the way that it, it empowers you to care for your patients is tremendous. Great. Well, John, thanks so much for sharing this with us. And if anyone has any follow-up questions, hopefully we can handle it on ODWire. Sure. Nice talking with you, John. Thanks. Good joining you. Bye.